All right, that's it. All right. Yay. We did what it. What have we learned? All right, everybody. I guess well, we learned not to do it again. Yeah. <laughs> or whatever the whatever the J.K. Simmons line from a Burn After Reading was. That was the line. What? We learn, guess we won't do it again? Or we learn not to do I it guess again? We, I guess we learned not to do it again. Oh. I think that's what it that's is. That's pretty close if that's not it. Yeah. yeah. Man, that's such a funny movie. And not quite my tempo. That's the line. Gotcha. Very good show. And he's talking to... Da- I think the other guy is David Rashke, most famous for playing Sledgehammer, the awesome the awesome cult 80s comedy cop show in like 87, 88. I don't even know if it had like more than two seasons or even had a full season, but I remember watching that very when I was in junior high. It was great, but... I loved that show so much when it came out. My 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 family would would watch it on my insistence. I don't think they liked it as much as I did, but boy, that really hit the spot. I don't know what the fuck you guys are talking about. It's that's fine. It's, it's a TV show, Jacob. For old people, maybe. For old people, exactly. You know what I miss? I miss Clone High. They're bringing it back, though. Oh hell yeah! Oh yeah, they are. Yeah, maybe they'll bring back your old people cult cop show are the cops in cults or yeah okay did you ever see the movie cobra it's also for old people no but i listened to the chapo episode about it it's the cult from cobra but now cops are in it okay then Hi, everybody. Welcome to Giving the Mic to the Wrong Person. This is Jeremy. We Today's episode, we are talking with Steve from the 1040 Block, which is kind of a, a local project born out of Portland Democratic Socialists of America, where folks are trying to help out you know, local at-risk and unhoused communities getting their, their Biden bucks, I guess, their stimmy checks. Relief, uh, relief benefits by helping them. Freedom by, dividends. Yeah, free. There we go. By helping them, you know, fill out some basic tax forms to, you know, like what, just solicit the the IRS for this stuff. And so far, they've been able, they've been able to help out several different folks with that. And now everybody's kind of just they're at the point of waiting for. Well, let's just say we'll get in in the interview. They kind of they'll talk about what, how what progress they've been able to make. And I think you're going to enjoy that. Well, I want to thank Jacob and Garrett for joining me on this talk today. And yeah, without further ado, here we go. Once again, ladies and gentlemen and other friends, to giving the mic to the wrong person, I am your host here with Jacob. Say hello, Jacob. Hi, I'm fanning myself with all of the money I made from my AMC hodl. Yep, that's still going on. And with Garrett. Say hello, Garrett. Hello. I don't have any money with which to fan myself. Gotcha. And with, uh, with new friends today, unfortunately, one couldn't make it, but the other one could. So, Steve, could you introduce yourself to the viewing audience? Hi there, uh, Steve Longashek, member of Portland DSA and founder of the 1040 Block Project. 
Excellent. Yes. And the 1040 block project, are, uh, what we have uh, gathered here, I keep having Prince, I keep having Prince's line from let's go crazy in my head. You know, we have gathered here today. Anyway, t- the 1040 <laughs> block is why we have gathered here today to discuss the new, the, this new project as what's been going on in uh, the city of Portland, Oregon, but also how you, the, the viewer at home listening to this right now, can, if you are so inclined, can start your own project with, uh, with some like-minded folks, and hopefully we can scale this thing up in one way or the other. So, yeah, the Steve, what can you give it? Can you describe the 1040 block pro- project for folks? How y'all got started with it? And why you did, why you decided to take the the way that you know? Well, first, you just I guess lay out the basics: who, what, when, and why. Yeah. So early this year, I was looking around and I was having conversations with quite a number of of activists, folks who were perpetually online, but who hadn't gotten their stimulus checks from the government for 2020. Everybody with a valid social security number was supposed to be getting two checks in 2020, a $1,200 check and a $600 check and more for families than that. But I was finding a lot of people that were in my circles that had not uh, received those checks simply because they hadn't filed tax returns recently enough for the government to know where to send them their money. And despite the fact that there there had been uh, a program through the IRS where you could just go to the IRS website and give them the information and they were supposed to send you the check without you having to file a tax return, a lot of people hadn't done that. And the cutoff for that was in November. So coming into the new year and realizing how many people still weren't getting that money, which at, at the end of the day, $1,800 is is not enough to live on. It was totally inadequate in terms of what Congress was actually providing for uh, pandemic relief and, and the financial support that folks needed in order to, to, to make their way through it. It was still, you know, it was, there's a few zeros at the end of that number and it's, it's some money that everybody should have. Right. And, and in thinking about it, we realized that particularly the unhoused community are the folks where that money would make the most difference. And yet they're also the folks who tended to have the least access to to actually receive it, both because they're unlikely to file tax returns, so the government didn't know where to send it, and also because of the obstacles of actually getting that, that money to them. Because in order for the IRS to send you the money, you have to have either a bank account where they can do a direct deposit or a mailing address where they know to send it. And that's that's often a, a problem for having secure and, and reliable mailing addresses for our housing community as well. Yep. So so we set out to DSA as a project, the Resiliency Working Group, is to to focus on getting as much of that money as we could to the folks that it would do the most good for. And we were we were fortunate to very early on make some connections with the Social Justice Action Center here in Portland as a physical location directly serving the unhoused community. So that gave us a a a physical address that we could we could have stuff sent to, as well as Carla, our uh, certified public accountant partner, who is also a DSA comrade, who was able to handle some of the back end logistics of getting those things filed efficiently and help us with like the, the, the paperwork side of things. So that's, uh, that's where we arrived at. And yeah, we've been running this program now for about three months and we think we've served, uh, I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but ballpark is about 60 clients. So between the, the 1200 and the 600 for $1,800 last year plus $1,400 that was approved this year, which also gets unlocked once the IRS has your information, that's $3,200 a person. So if you think about $3,200 times 60, we're talking about, you know, in the neighborhood of $200,000 that that is still on its way, uh, making its way into the community. Various delays with the IRS because 
for some reason, they have a lot of paperwork that they're uh, having to process. And so it is slowing things down. Shocking. But, sorry. Shocking. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Apparently, there's a few a few more checks than usual that they have to send out and, and a few more tax returns than usual, uh, which we're helping to contribute to as best we can. But yeah, you know, $200,000, not a small amount of money for, for getting into our community. Excellent. What kind of reactions have you been getting from folks when they find out about the project or the ones you've served? Has it been like universally positive or have you gotten a spectrum? Because a lot of, well, not a lot, but there is a certain hyper vocal, uh, Portland property owner type, homeowner type that gets I don't know, a little bit genocidal about when ta- whenever the subject of houseless folks coming up or much less trying to help them out. So I'm kind of curious what kind of reactions you've been getting either from the people you've been helping or from the local populace. Well, I guess the the kinds of folks that you're talking about and having those, those aggressive anti-houseless uh, reactions don't have much overlap with me in terms of social circles. So I, I can't say I've heard uh, directly from, from any of them. So you're not on the Nextdoor website then? Um, I, I I tell you what, I, I do have an account. I've had it for many years. I use it. The only thing I used it for was trolling libertarians in my neighborhood when we were doing the the, the Up Now campaign for Universal Preschool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, nice. I think I'd be, I, the, the rare times I used it was either posting cat photos or, po- or asking people if they had extra PVC pipe that I could use to build a catio with. <laughs> yeah. So in terms of the response on the ground, it's been largely positive. I mean, there's there's always some skepticism when you're when you're talking to someone who who has uh, had a life experience that leaves them understandably uh, suspicious of any sort of institution. They they but by and large, like you know, we're we're not forcing this down anybody's throats. We're there to to offer the service to anybody's interested. And and yeah, we've gotten a good number of people through the door who are. Who are comfortable both with, you know, SJAC as an organization, which has been out there providing a lot of, of services during the pandemic. And yeah, I mean, some people just decline and they have their reasons and we're not there to, to try to push them into to taking free money they don't want. I mean, <laughs> I say that facetiously, but like, you know, it's, it's, it's up to them. But uh, yeah, the, the response has been very positive overall. Excellent. Have you been able to? Aside from just the folks at the, the, the folks in the social, or associated groups at the Social Justice Acted Action Center, which is why we're, we're, if you're listening and if you ever hear us refer to the SJAC, that's it. Uh, long time, long time or former Portlanders will remember the Red and Black Cafe on Southeast, was it Oak and 12th, I think? Oak. Oak and 12th. Yep. yep Oak and 12th. That's, that became the, the Red and Black Cafe became the SJAC. And even even for at least shit two years before we Portland DSA had a proper office was also the main meeting room of a lot of DSA meetings because I went to more than a few reading groups there. Didn't everybody get uh, head up because they reserve they refused to serve coffee to cops one time? I seem to recall hearing that story. Was that was that at the Red and Black? It was. I'll look it up. Okay. That's, I would not be surprised at that for a second, but so it's kind of something tells me that the, that cops wandered into there wanting, wanting service was probably a little bit more than more, pro, more than a little provocative, but yeah, 2018. Really? Yep. 
Oh, okay. Wow. I didn't even know there was an that was an open. It was the Red and Black, I guess. But yeah. Oh, okay. What? No, it would have been a different place because the Red and Black Cafe is the, whatever side side issue. Okay. So, okay. Next question: Have have you guys reached out besides the just the S Jack? Have you reached out to any of the other like other organizations, nonprofits, or you know other useful folks who who do a lot of work with houseless folks just to try to see if if they would be interested in helping out? Yeah, so that's it's been an ongoing discussion within within the project, and it really comes down to our our capacity. We we established this relationship very early on with with SJAC, and it's worked well for us. Uh, and volunteer capacity has has been a concern all along, and so that's really what we've been focused on is is being able to to keep our commitments that we've made to the community in terms of our, our availability there at SJAC. But we're also finding now that you know we're three months into this program. We've, by and large, we're kind of getting to the, the tail end of the, the demand for it there. And so we've actually just this month, we had been, so we've been partnering with the, the hygiene station volunteers when they have open hours. And that's three hours a day, four days a week over the weekends, Friday through Monday. So that's, uh, you know, 12 volunteer hours uh, a week that we've been, we've been staffing to good effect. But We've just taken the decision for the month of June that we're dropping that down to two days a week, which frees up some of our capacity to, to try to extend to other locations. Cause we recognize, you know, the Portland Metro is a large uh, geographic area mm-hmm. and not everybody who needs the services is based out of SCHEC. I mean, the, the one good thing is, you know, people are like, Oh, well, you've missed the May deadline for tax filing or whatever. Cause that's, that's part of it. Like we call it 1040 block because the way, if you didn't get your stimulus checks in 2020, the way you get those now is you file a tax return. Uh, and so that's what we're helping people through that process, which, you know, for folks who have no income, it's like a 15 minute from start to finish, 15 minute engagement to get that done. And I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought. Where was I going with that comment? You were talking about <laughs> the, the, the arc of the, of the project at the SJAC kind of like slowly uh, ramping down because it's almost like you're hitting that's a, right. sa- it's like you're hitting a saturation that's right. point. That's right. And, and I was saying like people, people were like, Oh, well, I, we're surprised you're still doing this because the tax filing deadline was in May. Well, the tax deadline is the point at which the IRS says that if you're required to file a tax return with them, if you don't have it in by that date, you start paying penalties. Like there is no cutoff for filing a tax return to tell the IRS that they should send you money. Right. Like, and so we're still out there. And as long as there's there's demand, as, as long as there's a need to be met in the community, we're going to try to do this work. But it is a point where like the SJAC location serves a certain certain populace that's that's close to SJAC and there are other places in the metro where we we want to be reaching out especially looking towards North Portland Gresham area we're we're looking to identify the right partners for that part of why this has worked so well at SJAC is because SJAC as a partner has been willing to receive mail on behalf of these clients which is an important service to have a physical location where that's nearer to folks that they can trust where they can come to check on the status of their their checks and get access to that. So as we do look into other neighborhoods, we're going to want to be finding the right partners that could, that are willing and able to provide that same sort of service. Gotcha. Yeah. So folks out there, if you know anybody who is serving you know, your local houseless community or, or tent camps or... We kind of need a, uh, you know, we kind of, I guess tent camp is kind of it, but it's like we need a, uh, or houses encampment, but it's like they're effectively, like we, ha- you know, they're effectively shanty towns, but everybody uses tarps instead of like, you know, tar paper. I don't think we've, we haven't quite, but it's, it's effectively the same thing. Bidenvilles. That's pretty good. <laughs> 
that would uh, nope. I was gonna say Biden bungalow, but that's a that's a house, a not a uh, that's a single location, not a not a uh, not a group of uh, not a group of not a group setting. Okay, but that's funny. That's did it. Okay, a for- couple of things came to mind that I think outside in helps people with mailboxes as well or mailing addresses. So that might be another avenue at least for that. And uh, there had been in my neighborhood in Kenton the the Kenton Women's Shelter. So that might be another organization to partner with. Yeah. Oh yeah, I mean also just like the I mean, well, just the, that's the kicker. It's like just basic orgs. You, you have oh, the Kenton women's village, I should say. I'm sorry, Jeremy. Oh, no, not a problem. Yeah. That's, that would be good. Also, I mean, you get stuff like TPI transitional projects, which I myself volunteered at at the Clark Center about 14 years ago. I would like come in, you know, once a week on, on like a, you know, for a couple hours into their little computer room and help folks go through, you know, basics of like how to get an email address and how to, how to use Craigslist and how to make a resume kind of a thing. But yeah. And the one thing we do know about TPI is they, they put time limits on how long they will store mail. Mm-hmm. So if you're, if you're not in a position to be able to check back with them regularly and you've got an IRS check that's come in and they, they discarded or returned to sender, that's, that's not ideal for. Indeed. Yeah. Yeah. That's been, what has been the, the bigger hangup with, with, as a logistical, I should say, well, what have, what have been your uh, biggest logistical concerns or problems in trying to get this off the ground? Well, you know, we, we were really lucky that like the biggest concerns as we were going through it is like, so, so we can, we can help people file tax returns, but then it's, it's all the logistics of, you know, are, are we going to have paper copies that, that we're going to be able to make available to, to clients? Cause we know, you know, document storage is a major concern. We hear all the time about during sweeps, folks leaving all of their most essential identification documents, birth certificates, driver's license, everything else. So a tax return, a copy of a tax return is not something that like if, if they care about having it, that we wanted to leave that to, to the, the vagaries of, of these illegal sweeps. So document storage, like how we get the money into people's hands was a big question. And we, we kicked around a lot of ideas, including the idea that we might have an account that we could do direct deposit to. It's completely legitimate. From, from the IRS's perspective to have a, an account that is associated with an institution that you just tell them to deposit the money there and that we could then turn around and give, give folks the money. And from a certain perspective, that would have been an ad- advantageous in that the IRS is doing much faster about processing direct deposits than they are about paper checks. The challenge there is then that becomes a target for, for theft. And we didn't want to expose our volunteers to, like, if we're talking $200,000 worth of money, that we'd be pushing uh, a couple thousand dollars at a time out through that building. Mm-hmm. We, we wouldn't want our volunteers walking up to the building to be to be targets for, for theft because of the amounts of money that they're carrying around and, and things like that. But we also recognize that, like, the there are other obstacles once you get the check even delivered to the, to the mailing address. Uh, some of these folks, as I mentioned, like, they've lost their state IDs and it can be very difficult to get those replaced. And it's kind of hard to cash a check if you don't have a state ID. And so this hasn't, we, we've had conversations about this internally as well about how we might handle this. And like one of the options that we, we've looked at is that for those folks who aren't able to cash their checks directly, that we would provide a service where they could sign the check over to, to DSA basically. And we could give them the cash for that, for that check. And it, it's, that's basically the plan that we have because we, <laughs> have yet to see a single check come through the door in response to this program. It hasn't, hasn't been something we've actualized yet, but that's, that's 
that's in the in the cards. But yeah, like those are the logistics. It's like how do you get the how do you get the money back to the person? How do you get the how, how do you enable them to turn a, a check into actual money that they can use and, and document storage and and the, again the fact that we we had S Jack as a partner who was help willing to help with a lot of those logistics and and has a, a brick and mortar presence and are well established was was ideal all around. Excellent. Yeah, that's the kicker. Is it of Logistical, yeah, that's like the the real world logistics of the of these kind of projects always do you know can bite you in the ass if you don't check out for them. But yeah, it's because I was kind of curious about which becomes the bigger obstacle the the lack of ID, the lack of mailbox, or the lack the lack of bank account. And it's kind of like it's like all three of them kind of stack up onto each other. Exactly. It's almost like this is like this seems like one of the one of the reasons why we should bring back postal banking because it seems like you'd be able to to you know. That they no doubt would be able to figure out all three of those things to do. I think, of course, the only problem there was then you'd have to go on and just establish establish enough trust in the person that they can, you know, interact with this office, you know, safely and securely. I guess for sure. Is there a, well, I'm trying to think of, you've mentioned that, that it's still waiting on payments to come back. And I will say that as, yeah, as you mentioned that the, for as slow as hard copy stuff is, at least they are on their game with direct deposits. The IRS got real good at that over the last few years, probably due to the, the kind of people they want to be working with rather than, you know, everybody else, the more secure types, I should say. What problems do you see coming in the future that you haven't been hitting yet, aside from getting the, you know, delivering the money to actual people? Especially if what if this pro if this project is successful enough that it starts scaling up, do you see any what 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 issues do you see right now or issue areas of either your current scale or your or your future desired scale? Well, I will say. So one of the challenges has been figuring out how to scale up in terms of volunteers. So because we are working through a licensed CPA, we want to make sure that we have all the right, we're crossing all the the I's and dotting the T's in terms of trustworthiness uh, mm-hmm. and liability there. And for the moment, we're working as a, as a program entirely within DSA, which means that our, our volunteer pool is is limited to DSA members just because taking outside volunteers, we would then have to have a, a whole new process of trust, you know, verifying who should be a volunteer that's handling confidential information for each of these clients, yeah. not, not going off and stealing people's social security numbers. And so we, as I mentioned, like part of the, the ongoing work has been ensuring we're keeping our commitment in terms of vo- staffing with volunteers. A three hour at a time shift can be a, a big ask for people. And we've maintained, but we have not had the capacity to, to grow beyond that. And so, you know, one of the factors I think is we do get people who come in and they volunteer and they enjoy the work, but we don't get to see, there's no instant gratification of seeing the turnaround, right? And I think once we start to see checks coming in from the IRS, I think that will I think that'll contribute to enthusiasm among our volunteer base. People are going to want to you know be part of that process of of directly getting the money to people. And it, it you know not to say that that our volunteers haven't been been great, but just in terms of like you you can't help but see the impact of 
of when you actually get to deliver a check to somebody. There's that endorphin rush actually being directly part of that. Yeah, uh, uh, and I think we'll see an uptick in, in enthusiasm at that point. Yeah, our own, our own version of if yeah, Steve, you're you're my age. Our own version of the, of all of those old publishers clearinghouse commercials that would where they show up or either that or with I can't I think Ed McMahon was a part of them at some point. Ed McMahon, absolutely, with yes. Giant novelty <laughs> checks up there. Stay right where you are, folks. You may be the winner of $1 million. This is Ed McMahon, and I urge you to watch your mail for a million-dollar message from me. Look for the envelope with my picture on it from American Family Publishers. If you receive this envelope, you may already be the winner of $1 million. I will personally award this giant prize. So look for your $1 million envelope this week. Be sure it's from American Family. It could make you a millionaire. Which I guess would be a bit more difficult if you don't have a place to store said giant novelty check, but it looks good for the cameras. You you put that on instead of your tarp for your shanty towns. You use that for shelter. Gotcha. That's about all it's good for. Roofing, yeah. The I want to say is the I guess yeah the the volunteer the you know the manpower issues aside looking I guess looking ahead if this it does become a successful and successful meaning you know to get people money and successful in that it still survive it is that's what well, I don't want to say self reproducing like self replicating it's sustainable it's sustainable you know ongoing and builds what issues do you think you could, you would be you guys would have to hit next in terms of increased numbers and increased activity so I would love to see other people replicating this model wherever and you know we're happy to to, to help get things off the ground I think the particular model that we we have here like the next scaling aside from aside from just volunteer commitment the the, the other scaling problem we have is you know scaling to the capacity of our our volunteer CPA comrade uh, in terms of the tax filing and the paperwork and everything because you know the trust model at, that we have at the moment is we we can handle one one CPA office right one one uh, official entity handling the, t- the the tax filings. To be able to scale beyond that would mean having to figure out all of the interconnectedness of tracking which like which entity is doing the filing and like shared access to to the actual tax returns and all kinds of other things like that. Which uh, you, you know, from accounting perspective, we want accountability here. We want auditability of uh, being able to keep track and and, and you know show receipts. That we're we're doing right by everybody. Once you start scaling beyond one one accountant for one accounting firm, you you get at all those sorts of logistical troubles as well. Whereas if somebody else wanted to stand this up and they they had if there was another accountant who wanted to do that, even in a different area in the Portland metro, it would be great to see see somebody else step up and and provide that kind of service and 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 build that organization. But it, it really has been key to have a CPA as part of this project. And I think that's probably going to be the bottleneck for a lot of groups because I think there's there's a lot more you know, DSA chapters and other interested groups than there are probably CPA comrades. <laughs> yeah, need more class traders. That's one thing I'm wondering if if it seems like it seems like something you can get either like 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 churches or you know houses of worship communities who because a lot of them do do will do like clothing drives and and food drives for you know more at risk stuff. It seems definitely something that I think you know or a a, a replicable project by them. So, well, again, yeah, I think 
I've always thought that the DSA should get involved with church groups, especially when it comes to poverty support, you know, like that sort of thing. And you might be able to find more of the sort of financial professionals you're looking for. I'm an accountant, unfortunately, not a CPA, but I'm really interested in in what y'all are doing. So maybe you and I should talk some more, Steve. Oh, that would be great. Yeah, I think many have pointed out most recently uh, Pascal Robert of the Black Agenda Report, and this is Revolution Take, is that one of the main, one of the big limitations of DSA as a national or much not even as a regional as a national organization now is that every every DSA needs to you know leftists need to re- to reach out to more you know to like black churches and other like houses of worship and other community groups like that because you have well-formed communities that we can that we can inter interconnect with but you know yeah. that, but i'm that, not a cpa but if you need someone to design a t-shirt for you <laughs> let me know hey this is the, the, the t-shirt you know we could get we could get like some DSA polo shirts, you know, with just a small logo and that would that would help. And then we could all wear uh, braided belts and, and and khakis. And I think that that would go a long way to making the DSA cuddly for people. There's I'm that in my part. Excellent. The well, let's I was to say, yeah, but the the topic of getting DSA and other leftists involved with with religious groups is probably that's its own series of like, you know. 12 podcasts all right yeah, so well st andrews would probably be the place you want to get in touch with here in portland that's true also, no, i mean right across from s jack we do have uh, st francis which is has been a, a radical community in terms of their their support for the, the, the unhoused community as well it's almost like something like I'm, t- I'm trying to think of like even just like yeah, tpi and like some of the other places that have like free meals or like 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 the blanchette house downtown which has like I think just like two meals a day, and also like an in and also offers some lodging too. But anyway, but yeah, like I said, this is all, these are all questions of questions of scale. Once you get that, kind of rely on a base of sustainability. Anyway. So let's talk about in in for replication. Can you break down the basic one hundred and one of how folks you know who want to help out or try something like this on their own? What you know? How do they start, or how should they well, start? I mean, so so what I've what I've said is is you do have to to really build this up. The the, the two things that we've relied on are having a reliable brick and mortar presence. There has to be some some consistent point at which you interface with the community and. It doesn't necessarily have to be a brick and mortar place, but you do have to solve the problem of mail delivery somehow, right? So you, you have to have some sort of, uh, system in place, which the, the clients you're trying to serve are going to trust for receiving their mail. So you don't really want to come at this as, as somebody who's like on their own, unattached to any of the organizations that are doing existing support and outreach to the unhoused community and try to just come in and say, Hey, let us file your taxes, right? Cause you're going to be met with quite reasonable levels of distrust and and questions about like whether you're you're actually going to be there for them. So so partnering with with existing groups doing this through groups that are that are serving the unhoused community is key. And if there's a brick and mortar location that's great. If you do have some other solution where you like you you, you have a, a scheduled engagement out in in the community that doesn't have a, a mailing address but you're able to tie tie things back to a mailing address on your own, then, then that's also a solution for that. The other thing that you need is this question of, of how you're doing the tax filing and, and document storage. I would be wary of recommending that anybody file tax returns and, and store them 
privately without without some sort of organization as, as a liability shield where you, where you have a an accounting firm that that is in the habit of storing confidential documents like like tax returns i i really would not advise you know just saying that you're going to store them in your filing cabinet in your house when 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 document handling is not uh, part of part of what you're normally doing. I don't see why um, it sounds like a perfectly straightforward. You know, I got the hey, I got this filing cabinet for five bucks off of you know from a yard sale, and it's sitting there empty. Hell, I can help out anyway. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, I I collect comic books. I think I can handle this. <laughs> People, yeah, you got to secure securing those tax perform those tax docs and their return checks in in good four mil mylar. Yeah. Sitting there right next to my Secret Wars issue eight. Yeah. So then once you've you've established like how you're gonna do the document handling and how how you, you what is your the other question is is building up your, your community of volunteers. You need to have a good good volunteer base to make sure things are sustainable. And you know, we were doing four days a week, but if you were if you were in a place where what you were gonna to commit to was one day a week, that's good. You should at least have at least two or three volunteers you're gonna train up to do the actual client sessions. Now one thing I'll say is like you do not have to be a, an accountant to, to do the work we're doing to be to be a volunteer for this. It's good that we have a CPA both for the document storage as well as like being able to answer questions about complex tech situations. But fundamentally, all we're doing is, you know, we are we're helping them fill out paperwork. We're not like there's a there's a field on the, the tax form where you sign if you are a paid tax preparer. Well, we're not ta- paid tax preparers. We're just folks in the community who are helping get those tax uh, returns filled out. Yeah, we're neighbors. Um, it does mean that. We're, sorry. Yeah, we're neighbors. Exactly, we're neighbors. We're. It does mean we're not certified. Like the IRS does have a certification program for people that are doing certain types of tax preparation. We're not certified by the IRS. That's not what's important to us. What's important to us is is enabling folks to get the money that the, the government has promised them. And we do a. We have a one hour volunteer training that we we get all of our volunteers to go through before they go out in the field, which covers things. It covers everything from like common tax situations, the most common ones that you need to do to, to be aware of in order to make sure you're filling out the tax forms correctly with them and you know maximizing their returns to use the lingo as well as like just the basics of client engagement and talking about like our COVID protocols for the space and all of that. And so that's, we give a one hour training and then, and then they are set loose in the field. And, and it has worked well. Excellent. What have, okay, so we have brick and mortar. We got, we got an actual CPA and we got volunteers. Okay. What next? Well, get your schedule together and, and, and get people out in the field. Social media is, is one way to, to help get the word out. You also have a brick and mortar partner who, who is, you know, a, a point of presence. So you can work with them to, to help make sure that there's, Information available in the space so people who, who are passing by know about your availability and, and know about the program. And, and yeah, I mean, you're, you're, you're there, you're, you're working with the, the existing folks, the, the existing folks servicing the community. So word will spread and, and there shouldn't be any difficulty getting clients in. You just have to make sure that when you say you're there, you're able to be there. And uh, yeah, we, we, we tried a different couple of, a couple of different methods for maintaining a schedule of volunteers. As I said, like four days a week, it's, it gets a little heavy. And so you want to make sure you're as efficient as possible in, in scheduling things. And what we've landed on most recently, just in terms of ease of setup and, and ease of maintaining a schedule is we just have a Google calendar and everybody 
who's a volunteer. We just need them to have a Google account and we invite them to all the events. And whoever accepts the event is who is scheduled on it. And that is the, the lowest fuss way of scheduling that we've found. Gotcha. Okay. With the folks you've been helping, have any of them... I mean, given that, you know, it's probably a safe assumption, assumption that odds are they will get there. They probably will not have the required documents or any of the institutionary assistance or something like that. But have any, have any of the folks you've been helping out with, have you noticed if any of them actually do have like functioning bank accounts or is it kind of a thing where, or was a lot of them just kind of like past that point? So we have, we have had some people that do have bank accounts and there's, so as the, the hygiene station does, ex, does not exclusively serve the unhoused community. There, there are folks who are on, on the, on the brink, but they do have housing, but, and they're just coming by for like supplies that are helpful, helpful to them, possibly uh, a hot meal. There's a strong correlation between the folks that do have their own mailing addresses and that have access to bank accounts. So it's definitely the case that most of the, by, by far, the majority of folks that are actually unhoused and, and do not have a, a mailing address that they want to use other than SJAC, those are also people that are very unlikely to have a bank account. Fair enough. I think that for new, I guess for new folks, any, and this might be, I don't know if this is, if this is going to sound patronizing or, I guess hopefully without sounding patronizing or getting into like any sort of a condescending tones terms, uh, I guess any, <laughs> any, and this is where I guess this is where working with groups that have established relationships comes in handy. But I'm wondering like any tips for kind of new volunteers on like, you know, how to talk to ask to at risk populations as it were. I mean, or just pretty much, or just say, you know, just kind of, I guess it would, it's not like you have to, you really have to like change your affect or anything, but. Yeah, it's just, it's, uh, we, we're approaching this in a spirit of mutual aid. Everybody mm-hmm. that we're, we're speaking to is a, is a real human being and treating people as human is, is the first thing. Like, I also make it clear to all of our volunteers, this is mutual aid. We're not there to make decisions for anybody. Neither, neither do we tell them what they should be doing in terms of like, you should get this money, nor are we making any assumptions when we're, when we're filling out tax forms. We're, we're talking to them and, and stepping them through the process, but we're absolutely not there to, to, to have any sort of paternalistic attitude towards, towards the clients. We're there to help them get this done. We're not there to make decisions on their behalf. And I think that's, that's a key, key thing to, to bear in mind. If, if someone is a volunteer who doesn't have that sort of direct experience working with, with this community is just recognizing, like, recognize the humanity in the people you're serving. You're not there to be, to, 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 to serve a process. You're there to serve people. That's good. The, so no need to learn the hobo code then. I, that has not come up. All right, but you know, given time, it might. Anyway, yes, it will. I guess if you, you, if it ever does, you know that your your project is successful enough because you're actually reaching folks who would know that. Nope, nothing from Carly. Yep. The what it, has there been any particular questions that new to, that new volunteers will ask you when just starting off? Most of the questions come down to questions about the actual tax returns. Most of our volunteers have at least some experience where they filed their own taxes. Some of them genuinely haven't, like whether that's because they use an, an online service and so they're unfamiliar with the tax forms or they themselves have not had reasons to file taxes. Uh, but we also get into to, to various situations. Like I mentioned that our training goes through common tax situations and that's that's covering you know the main classes of income that you're going to, situations you're going to find, which is like wages, disability, 
and self-employment, which is the most complicated case, as well as looking at the, the kinds of credits that someone might be eligible for that would get them money back, even if they didn't pay taxes, what are called refundable credits by the IRS. And the, the stimulus checks are one, which they call the, the uh, I forget what it's even called, never mind, RR something, but, but there's a stimulus check. Child tax credits are refundable credits, which which are important. So if you've got somebody who does have dependents, and then what's called the earned income tax credit, which is a is a curious little thing. I don't know if you're you're all familiar with that, but the federal government will give you more money back if you had income from work than if you were not able to find work. I mean, so there's other things like unemployment, which it, during the pandemic there's been an increase in, in unemployment uh, insurance, mm-hmm. but also to be eligible for unemployment you have to have worked and lost your job in the recent past, right? So if you are chronically unemployed, the government, you, you get access to, to WIC and SNAP and things like that, but you don't you don't actually get direct money from the government for the most part, other than like uh, social security disability. And we can credit the Clinton era welfare reforms for much of that yeah. aggressive approach to, 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 to public funding. But the earned income tax credit means that if you worked a little bit and you didn't make too much money, but you did work in the year, the government will send you more having worked, which at the end of the day, like it's, it's better than not sending them money. It's still, it's still regressive when you actually look at it overall. Right. Um, but, but that's a, a tax credit, which is the most underclaimed of the tax credits because especially if you're going through like free services, they will often not, they'll have volunteers who are not informed about how to do that or they will just not bother. It's also the number one trigger for an audit by the IRS is by claiming the, the earned income tax credit because, yeah, because they can audit automatically. Like mm, we have these yeah. conversations about, there's ongoing discussions about funding the IRS to be able to do audits of the high income earners that are by and large the source of defrauding the government in terms of tax revenue. Right. Those are very manual processes. They're individually much more expensive for the IRS to do. And because the IRS has been deeply underfunded, you know, we've seen 90% cuts in their budget over the past couple of decades for, for doing audits. What they do instead is they've got computers that can just audit people automatically based on, we have your W-2s. We know how much money you made. We have what you're claiming for the earned income tax credit. So let's make sure the numbers match. And that's an automatic audit if you don't. So, so that's one thing. It's like, there's a trade off there. It's it, at the end of the day, it does get people more money in their tax return, but it's more likely to take longer because the IRS is going to, going to audit you there. Yeah. Also, historically, earned income tax credits are, have been a way of people who've, who've stolen social security numbers to actually commit fraud because, because it's a refundable credit. There doesn't have to be a, a tax return associated with that, with that social security number where they've even paid tax necessarily. So people like, before the IRS started cracking down on it, you had you had the situation where people like networks of folks who were deliberately defrauding the government would take every social security number they could get their hands on and file a tax return saying, Yes, yes, Mr. Taxman, you owe me money. <laughs> So that's where we wound up. But yeah, like the the, the usual questions that, that the, the main thing that volunteers are looking for help with is just understanding like the, the process of, of doing the taxes. Excellent. Guys, do you have any questions? I've got a few. Garrett? Yeah. Well, I was sort of curious about, I know this probably is far down the line for a project like this, but, you know, I'm sure that there are a lot of people 
that would like to become tax preparers, you know, licensed tax preparers, and would also like to do the sort of volunteer work and community support that that your group is doing? Has there have you all given any thought, especially that you you know, as you can bring in people that really have the credentials, like you have one CPA, you obviously want to get more to maybe at one end provide that that sort of because you're giving some people maybe even maybe even some people that come in initially for help might even like to to get that skill have you all thought about that at all well it hasn't been anything that that uh, we've given thought to i mean possibly a blind spot on my part so i'm coming at this as somebody who my actual work background is software so i am not looking to jump careers to, to mm-hmm. accounting and so it it, it Probably just didn't even Smart occur to move. me. That's, that is an interesting thought, though. <laughs> yeah, I just I just know that that as someone like I became an accountant and didn't really want to. I did it, you know, so that I could feel confident in employment and and you know opportunities to become a tax preparer or get my CPA or something like that were never very appealing because I didn't I didn't enjoy the work inherently. But if I were if I knew the work were going towards Something that is actually helping, you know, people who really need help a lot. It, it would be a more appealing. That's the only reason I bring it up is I think there are probably, there's probably a lot of people that would find that very appealing. And I, I don't know if it sounds cynical, but I don't mean it to sound cynical, but they would get some, some so-called career development along the, along the process. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think. As as we talk about this, there's another group that we we didn't manage to actually build out a, any relationship with, and, and part of it comes down again to you know this question of trying to work with more than one CPA makes the logistics very complicated, and so we just didn't didn't pursue it. But there's a we do have a group in Portland that's called Asset to the Resistance, which is a a collective of radical accountants, and so. Like if we start talking about trying to, to looking at people who are look, who are interested in, in the, the career opportunities of, of being accountants as well as giving back to the people, I think that's that's probably a group that we would definitely want to, to work uh, with on that. Absolutely. Jacob? Yeah, I was wondering if there were any interesting reasons why people declined your services. So the most common reason is just they are they're stopping by the space and they just don't have time. Or at least that's what they'll tell us, right? They may have misgivings, but like we're not pressing. We're not, we're not trying to interrogate them about the reasons they may not want to do it. That's not what we're there for. Most commonly, people just say they don't have time right now, but they might be back later. Okay. And has there been any interesting reactions just as far as the fact that the DSA is doing this? Are you guys getting into fascinating conversations about socialist theory or anything? Or? Not as much. The most political conversation that I've personally had when I was volunteering there was actually about mask efficacy in, in curtailing viruses. It's just, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll touch on it a little bit. We'll talk about like the fact that the government ha- has promised you a pittance. Uh, so let's, let's get you the little that they have promised you. But uh, yeah, it just doesn't, it hasn't been that that hasn't been the, the the direction we focused on okay what about when the money comes in have you guys given any thought to how that's going to be handled because i mean if people don't have bank accounts that seems like it's going to be a pretty significant i mean you you are in some cases i guess potentially putting a pretty big target on people's backs that that has been a concern it's it's not something that we can that we have any good solutions for like you know whatever form we would hand hand this money over to people because they generally are unbanked means that they're going to be carrying around something that is that is uh, currency or currency equivalent. Even if we put it on 
a debit card. Debit cards can be stolen and are equally targets for theft. So it, it's a concern that we don't have any any good solutions for. Like we can talk to folks individually. You know, ideally, people around don't know that the person has just walked out of there with with a, a chunk of cash. You know, we've also had conversations about giving folks the option of of taking of not taking the money all at once, right? If it's if it's a sort of thing. Now, by and large, we're not dealing with cash. We're dealing with checks from the IRS. So those have to be cashed somewhere. And and that's really outside of what we can provide any any sort of security for. We might advise people about being cautious with their money, but you know, we also don't want to be condescending. Like it's it's their money, and and at the end of the day, they have to work out how they're gonna manage that. It's also the case that like I, you know, not not to to downplay the the concern here, but like if provided nobody gets hurt. If if theft happens, which is certainly a possibility, like we've done our part of getting the money into the community, right? And even if somebody is stealing money, that person, by and large, chances are they 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 still need that money more than you know the random housed person in Portland. So we're still we're still doing the work of getting the money in the community, and and there's aspects of this that we cannot control, and it's still important that we do the work despite the risk. Well, I guess the other concern there would be, again, potentially the sweeps. Well, absolutely. I mean, again, not much we can we can do to control that other than you know, building the kind of mass uprising that would interdict sweeps. <laughs> Getting rid of Ted Wheeler. <clears throat> <laughs> Getting rid of all the out-of-town cops. Yeah. yeah. We'll save that for the signal chat. <laughs> awesome. All right. I'm trying to think of we've been going for we've been going for a while and we think we've covered a lot of ground. Is there is there anything we've missed that you wanted to talk about or think or think should be included in this convo? I mean, I guess the only thing I would say is if if folks like this idea and are willing to put in the work, we are uh, we're open to to providing whatever support we can. Info at 1040block.org. We do have an email address you can reach out to us and and we would be very happy to see this program replicated because as a group here in Portland, we can only do as much as we can do. And we're not the only place where this need exists. And, you know, if we can do $200,000 in one neighborhood here in Portland, just think replicating this out. Like part of when I, when I first started looking at this is like, in terms of impact to the community, if I can sit down for three hours and get three clients through that we've processed. That is, that's like, it's $3,200 an hour of, of good that you're doing in the community by doing a three hour session. Like how else can you have that kind of an impact anywhere in, in your work to, to, to have that much of a material impact on, on people who, on a community who needs that support? Like I certainly don't make $3,200 an hour at work. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm fairly well compensated, but I'm not, I'm not making that kind of money. So to be able to, to, to turn our time as volunteers into that kind of a return into the community is just outstanding. And, and I would love to see others doing this kind of work as well. Awesome. What are your, can you spell your email address, please? And like, what are your also, what are your other social, social contacts, if you would? Yeah. So info, I-N-F-O, at 1040block. That's the numbers 1040, and block is B-L-O-C, 
org. We're also, we do have a Twitter, an Instagram, and a Facebook. So we are findable as 1040 block on each of those. Great. And just remember, folks, that it is, you know, much, it is uh, B-L-O-C, not, the, you know, the political block, not the wooden block. <laughs> awesome. All right. Shit. That's pretty much all I have. Are you guys? I can't think of anything, anything, anything. No, I thought that I feel like we really sort of outlined what the project is, its needs, its challenges. I'm excited about this. I'm definitely going to uh, reach out because I do have sort of at least somewhat relative experience. Yeah, I guess. So I guess the, the Steve, do y'all have an ask or what can folks do aside from just or, you know, what do you need right now? Uh well, as I mentioned, because we're, we, we have sort of logistical challenges in taking outside volatility is the, the biggest thing where I would, I would love to see us grow, but that's something that we have to work out internally within the organization before we would be able to scale up further than we are. But I, I, I would ask the listeners to think about how they can put this into practice within their own communities. And again, we're, we're happy to support there. Great. Okay. Um, so we got that. I think. No, we've already, and we've already gotten your contact info. I think that's is. I think this is pretty much it. Then I think we've been we've had a fairly comprehensive talk on this stuff. Yeah. I, other than that, I don't think. I think we're pretty. I think that's pretty much it. I can't think of any other any other places to go or ways to wrap it up. So I guess the so right. in doing concluding, yeah, folks, check out uh, check out ten forty block online info at ten forty block dot dot org. 1040block.org. That's there it is. And see if you get involved in the ask around with the folks you know, or in the this is one of those like situations where it seems like you, you could even, uh, assuming they're not kind of like, uh, rabbi, rabid, rabbi, rabid anti, <laughs> uh, anti houseless folks things like you could even get like older relatives involved in just to help out if they were men, in minimal just to do like, you know, a little one on one help or something. But yeah. Oh, I actually, I, no, I just realized here, theory question. Uh, Steve, what is your, th- what is your working distinction between or theoretical distinction between mutual aid and charity? <laughs> Good one. Uh, man, really? You're, <laughs> I can't figure to talk about the, the pragmatics of a project and you're, you're putting me on the spot for a good theory. <laughs> hey, definition. you're the one who, you said you brought that you do, you're doing this as mutual aid. So again, this is, yeah. I mean, 90, 99% of the people who hear, who listen to this, our little thing probably knows what it is. But if nothing else, I guess it, this hope, you know, let us, let us, um, define these things for ourselves just to make things clearer. Yeah. So there's there's certainly a gradient there, and and not everybody agrees on what mutual aid truly is. To some people, the idea of mutual aid is it's it's only mutual aid if there's an actual exchange. But from my perspective, it is mutual aid rather than charity because part of it is 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 recognizing that you are approaching folks. Again, we're not being paternalistic here. We're recognizing the the, the humanity of people and. And recognizing our, our fundamental sameness as we're doing this work. And it's not to say that we're expecting the folks that we're serving who who have lots of challenges in, in their lives that we're expecting something in return. But we are recognizing the the, the equality of of each other as as human beings and we're here to to support a community. Whereas charity, particularly as it as, as exists in the Nonprofit industrial complex is about funneling money from from the rich and giving a small portion of that to 
to people who who benefit from it, often with a political agenda, although that's not a defining characteristic of charity. But but it's the idea that that this is not about us giving from our excess to to make ourselves feel good, to whitewash our rich reputations. We're we're doing this work to directly help our community. So that's it's not a very tight theoretical definition that I'm offering you, but that, that that's sort of where I come to. Oh, there you go. See, you you just you just got it out there. <laughs> All right. We I thought part of the definition was that you're trying to fill in or replace elements of the state that are failing to provide for the people. I mean, I would definitely agree with that. That that's that's our that's our intent. <laughs> Is that we are? Just to be clear, I have not... no idea what's going on, and I'm not a member of DSA. So I'm just, I think <laughs> well, I read so that I was... on Communism 101 on Reddit. <laughs> We are. We're, we're, we're serving our community in ways that the state fails to provide with the eventual goal of supplanting the state's power that it has over all of us. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the, that is the kicker about, I think, the, I don't want to say historical, but at least the relatively recent, as in like the last 50 years, I don't call, maybe like you could call it a break between like left, like leftist activist groups and like uh, religious communities, because for the longest time, those things were not separate. And that if you want to talk about a, 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 a non-state institution that organizes a lot of these things, a lot of services, communication, senses of, sense of belonging and, and uh, interaction and even like organization, churches do fulfill that role pretty well. But all right. Well, yeah, I think that's pretty much it. So thank you, Steve, for joining us to, on this not really a lovely Sunday, but cold Sunday on a cold Sunday in June here in the, the normally OK Pacific Northwest to talk about the 1040, the 1040 block to talk about the 1040 block. That's how you say it. Although I do, th- I, I do say as actionable as it was that calling it H&R block would have been even funnier. But, yeah, that's a, that's a big target. <laughs> the... Which I think actually was the, I think that was the name that you actually came up with like months ago in one of the, in one of the uh, resiliency group meetings. But yeah, so that, yeah. That was the original name, but I, I got voted down, which is okay. <laughs> gotcha. All right. Excellent. So once again, if any folks do this on your own, DIY, check out 1040block.org, uh, email info at 1040block.org, find them on the socials. Yeah. So I guess, Steve, any final words or anybody else have any final words or thoughts? You know, thanks. Thanks for having me. It's been a, a real pleasure talking about this and told yeah, the listeners like- out there, go out, go out and uh, help your neighbor. I'd like to thank Steve and second helping your neighbor. Mm-hmm. The, I'm the neighbor. <laughs> help Jacob, everybody. Yeah, help me too. No, I'm, I'm doing okay. But uh, I, I, I have to say that this is. Uh, I have a lot of respect for what you guys are are doing. Like it's the the, the Portland has uh, disappointed me in a lot of ways, and I don't think I have found anything more disappointing than the increased aggressiveness and militarization of the police. But one thing that has been consistent since I moved here is the just deeply frustrating and inconsistent treatment of the houseless and the at-risk communities here. So seeing something like this is just really encouraging. One of the lovely factors of our town. And that is the last time I'm going to be sincere or serious on this podcast. Unless you were here for it, folks. Yeah. Unless we start talking about Batman. Okay. So the, the, the Robert Pattinson casting is so inspired because I mean, if you've seen Cosmopolis, you just know he has the range. I mean, he's already played this character. 
What accent do you think he's going to use? I think he's going to do a different one per scene. And I think he's going to do like a different accent for Batman and a different accent for Bruce and a different one for matches. I think he's just going to go crazy with it. I want to see him do I want to see him at one point just start switch to whoever they're. I can't remember who they cast as Alfred, but he's, he just starts, he just flips his accent to just talk to Alfred. It is, or he, he, for some reason, he, whenever he's Bruce, he sounds like Michael Caine. Some men just want to watch the world burn. Whatever. Andy Serkis. There you go. I was going to say, he's got to do a Michael Caine accent when talking to Alfred. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> sir, I don't like when you do that. <laughs> yeah. Only a bit more shabby. Please, sir. Yeah. And anyway, so yeah, thanks everybody for coming by. And that is it for today's today's informational silliness. So Are thanks, we not Steve. doing plugs? Oh, yeah. Let's, the, yeah, actually, let's do that. Go, go around the table. If you have anything to promote and or plug, feel, uh, please do so now. Uh, Jacob? I'm streaming again, so if you want to watch me play poker very badly and ride a horse very badly, I'm playing Red Dead Redemption 2. Jacob Mercy on Twitch. If I get enough subscribers, I will do a hot tub stream. I'm trying to learn chess on leechess.org. Find me there. What's your username? Your pal Garrett. All right. What's, What's your ranking? I have no ranking. I don't know how to play chess, Jacob. All right. Well, then I definitely want to play with you because then I can actually win. Yeah, well, you can. What is with Lee Chess? L-E-E? Yeah, or Lie Chess. I don't know which one it is. L I Chess. Yeah, it's the cool indie version instead of chess.com. Oh, L I Chess. Okay, cool. Ad free. Oh, there you go. Awesome. Steve, you've already talked about your pl- thing you're plugging for the last hour and a half, so that's safely there. And I will, I'll put all my. Well, hell with it. Yeah. Once again, this show comes to you by, uh, listeners like you. So please, Zoe Quinn po- posted a pun today. Like and subscribe. L-Y-C-A-N, as if it was a werewolf joke. Anyway, like, share, and subscribe. You know, it's, we, we like out, you know, rate us on, on Apple iTunes. It's, I think, you leave us a comment. Once again, you know, it's like, the best thing that helps us out is you tell, you know, tell one friend or folks who likes listening to you know, this kind of like, you know, leftist radio that comes delivered to your phone every so often. Let us know about that. You can, if you have any questions or comments, you can email us at giving the mic at gmail.com. We are at SoundCloud slash giving the mic. Facebook dot com slash giving the mic that's mike mic twitter and i don't think i have an instagram yet i probably should get one at some point yada 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 so all right so thanks steve that's and that's it for us everybody everybody else thank you steve yeah thanks steve thank you guys doing this weekend not bad kind of uh not ready for there to be no more weekend i've been super productive i definitely didn't just spend an hour playing poker in red dead redemption 2 <laughs> sounds <laughs> like it's because i'm a, you know, a useful and productive member of society and i do stuff you that... give a shit about getting things done yeah no i i i'm all about that gtd i'm eating the frogs i'm doing all the productivity stuff you, people love it people can't get enough of me and my productivity yeah you want you know what helps getting posters that that you can put on your wall that inspire you to to do more of that yeah Say like achieve and then show someone rock climbing yeah and the, and the, and the cats that tell me to hang in there and stuff I, I'm yeah all about that that's my whole that's my whole thing i'm noted for that i mean if we're up to me that would be just handed out to everybody 
they call me Mr. Too Damn Productive. <laughs> They're like, hey, cool it. Cool it a bit. Yeah. Yep. There's not going to be any work for the rest of us. You're ruining the curve. Oh, also, how many stuffed cows do you have behind you? Three. I'm not sure if they're all on screen. Wow. It's a mixture of cows and penguins. <laughs> I was going to say. Just the, yeah, the mix, you know, just a, a panoply of 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 black and white st- plush animals. I'm flashing back to the, was the GameCube? Yeah, this must have been GameCube era where uh, everybody freaked out. Uh, oh, when they released that the Harvest Moon game in like oh two or oh three, because the promotional giveaway was a free cow, and so everybody <laughs> needed to have this. But if you look, if you Google, you can still see like Harvest Moon free cow, and there are a lot of people who really wanted that free that free cow. <laughs> no Dalmatians though. Were your parents killed by Dalmatians? <laughs> Dalmatians are incredibly stupid animals, inbred all to hell. No, it's the fact that they're all can black confirm. And is coincidental cows so penguins is because of linux and cows are because i'm from iowa and i would randomly say moo to people in my college days so this is all college era stuff a long time ago <laughs> where'd you go to where'd you go where'd you go to college iowa state university university of michigan for me but as you can tell yeah we're not the most formal of exchanges here Okay. Normally we ask people, I mean, at the end of the show, we always ask people for endorsements and recommendations, but we can skip that today because it's just to, just to sh- tighten things up. What am I looking at here? No, these are, you know, well, these are questions from two podcast recordings ago. Why do I still have these? <laughs> so tell us, how do you feel about GameStop? Wait, I also have the wrong notes. <laughs> this is a mess. <laughs> Yeah, we had on Mitch and and one of his heterodox econ professor friends about two months ago to, to talk about both no, Christ more than two like four months ago because it was a both it was a while ago yeah it was both on yeah. God Jesus time doesn't fucking exist anymore because we talked about both like game stonks but also why the Texas energy grid is so fucked over and yeah. as Mitch pointed out we're uh, the Oregon grid is pretty is fucked up too because they refuse to bury our power lines which is one of those things that if we do ever get the the wildfire prep kind of project campaign organizing thing up and going it's like uh, at some point for the folks who who you know who don't necessarily see this as like a non so like how is this building socialist power it's like well at some point we can scale up to directly attack the state government and the and if not the county or city by taking to the state government to start forcing power providers to start burying power lines because you know same things like p you know half of what p pg causes all those goddamn fires in california because they don't they won't bury or upgrade or maintain their own lines. And the same thing happened yep. last year. Yeah. Well, the rhetoric, rhetoric about this is, oh, well, the Obama administration looked at it and it might cost a million dollars per mile to bury it. It's like, okay, might cost up to a million dollars is not a real number. Yeah. Right. That is not an actual <laughs> assessment of what it's going to cost us. And also, like, mile by mile, JFDI, there's no reason that, especially as things go down, you ought to be like, investing in that i mean it's yeah it's 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 hard to to you know bury it on short notice but if there were a plan like every time you go out to service things oh well the line is down well here's a stretch where we can directional bore and bury it like you must be doing some of that instead of just constantly replacing the overhead lines yeah 
When I was when I was in Savannah a month ago, which downtown Savannah again, which I highly recommend to everybody, it is very. I guess it's yeah, it's definitely you could call it Portland like in that they are both American cities laid out like laid out like in grids, ma- carved out of a forest and built mainly before the widespread use of cars. And I, but one of the things I noticed to walk around aside from all the great, just beautiful, like 19, 19th century architecture is that they, there aren't power lines everywhere because they actually buried theirs as, as opposed to here where we didn't. So that was the, you know, Savannah was the, the country's first planned community is what I've heard. Really? I guess. Are we the, talking about yeah. Savannah, Georgia? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was sort of like a, a sort of rational principles laid out city. Yeah, um, yeah. Even like, though it was, it was founded, I don't know, probably in the 1700s. I don't know. Yeah, I think it was. It was like a. It was the original capital of Georgia, and I think it was like a. It was like a colonial, if not a colonial headquarters, at least like a uh, a pretty uh, significant colonial port. Because it was the one part of Georgia right. that was in, in that weird little stretch where it actually does hit the Atlantic. See, I'm in the minority here because I'm actually pro-exposed power lines because if I didn't have exposed power lines, where would I imagine Spider-Man running on long car trips? That's a good point. Yeah. That's a good point. That really destroys a bit of the imaginary of that. Well, but it's fine to leave them aerial when we're talking about long distance. That's fine. But when we're talking about a city where there's so much else is underground, sewer, gas, mm-hmm. the fact that we the fact that we don't route the electric as well where it makes the most difference when there's power outages because that's where the population density is like yeah. you get you get a line down that's 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 one break in a in a 500 kilometer long distance power line yeah it's it's gonna affect a lot of people but you fix one line and everybody's services back up right yeah so i'm right. trying to figure out we had the problem we had with, with the portland power outages was like, like how many thousands of distinct power lines that were down yeah and to go through one by one and fix them all. Nothing but those lovely. <laughs> it's it's yeah. I should say that you could tell it's like the uh, the time when explosions going go from cool to being kind of disturbing and scary is when you get those that green electric transformer explosion, <laughs> which I remember that happening in Ann Arbor too. It happened across the street from the house that our par- our apartment was in, and that will when everything gets loud, you hear that loud pop and everything goes green. That's a real bad feeling. Yeah, I'm trying. No, I'm so, I'm so I can't envision how you would. How you would come to, but you'd land on Spider-Man running along a, running along a power line as the, uh, I mean, that wouldn't really work because it's like he would, even like, even out there, he would still be swinging, wouldn't he? Well, yeah, but he could swing on the power lines. Well, right. But well, from the, from the, uh, from the poles, I guess, but it's, it's almost, I I figure it's much more of like a, like some sort of like ninja anime. Where or or kung fu thing where they're you know doing the <laughs> the sword run across the tops of like bamboo or something. <laughs> See, this is the uh, like I said, this is the formal the the former formal conversational style that we get in that we uh, we get up to here. And and without a better way to start these things. <laughs> 